0: hey everybody welcome to tcp talks with jonathan baker and justin broadley from the cloud pod in this series we're bringing you interviews with the best and brightest leaders and heroes from the tech and cloud industry
1: Andrew, it's great for you to join us today. Can you maybe introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, thanks uh, for having me on the show. Uh, my name's Andrew Krug. I am the lead of the security advo- advocacy team at Datadog. Um, and uh, that's what I've been doing for about uh, three years or so since uh, Datadog decided to launch its first security product.
2: Yeah, it's actually interesting uh, you know, talking to you before the show, learning about... Uh, Datadog is starting to think more about security and going into a lot of different spaces uh, in the security side. Because I think a lot of people have this illusion that Datadog is just an observability tool. uh, And I think it's becoming really an interesting common location for all data around your observability, your security, uh, and your performance of your application. So really exciting to see Datadog making big strides in this area. Yeah, we are as well. So, uh, for those of you uh, who have never heard of Datadog, which you know, I, every vendor conference I've been to uh, has a ton of a large, very large Datadog booth. So I don't know how many people there are, but uh, you know, thinking about Datadog, how would you describe Datadog uh, and some of those security solutions to someone who's maybe new to the product?
1: So I think uh, his, historically, you know, the way I would have framed this is is that we're very focused on the pillars, uh, the three pillars of observability. Like, but uh, today we are focused on taking those things that were the traditional observability pillars and using the same data for providing this security lens kind of on top of data that you, you probably already actually have in platform. Um, so previously, uh, your statement would be totally accurate. We were definitely mired in and led uh, the way in the observability space for a long time. But uh, today I would say that we are are heavily focused On uh, security and and bringing security really to engineering teams, not to uh, just security people.
2: Great. You know, Datadog being a SaaS product uh, versus, you know, open source solutions that I might deploy on premise, like, um, you know, Elasticsearch or others. You know, what are some of the benefits of leveraging a solution like Datadog that is a SaaS product?
1: I think uh, one of the biggest advantages of, of using any vendor provided solution, really, and not just Datadogs, um, and maybe this is helpful if you're evaluating what vendor to choose, is in the way that that vendor is ingesting and normalizing various log sources uh, for you. So, any, anyone that's like run a, a DIY SIM, run an open source uh, SIM or security information event manager, the way that you detect uh, when different things are going bad in your environment. If, if you have done that before, you know that it's very, very challenging sometimes to maintain a sane data structure for logs that are ingested, especially from cloud providers. Uh, cloud provider audit logs are notorious for even having different um, data types in single fields across uh, product families, even in the same cloud provider. So something that, for example, is a uh, you know a string for one product might be a list in another product or a list of dictionaries in another another product um so i think the big value that the vendors bring is that that confidence that they have these large teams that are really focused on ensuring that things are working 100% of the time for you as a user of that platform as well as the out of box detections Um, And We could talk deeply about how we we engineer those out-of-box detections, but those are the rules that everybody should have on 100% of the time, and uh, they immediately bring value when you turn that product on.
2: I think you just took me back to uh, the days trying to get Snort to work at scale. Uh, as a, uh, I, I, I blocked those memories out but as you talked about that and i'm trying to keep this team running on trying to keep snort working on you know several thousand nodes uh, i i really uh understand what you're saying <laughs> in this particular space
0: yeah well oh, OSSEC and thousands of projects uh things that you've got to maintain it's uh, yeah that was fun times <laughs> so in in terms of evaluating security tooling it's I've had experience with with many different commercial open source solutions over the years, and um, I've often found it very difficult to to kind of feel like I'm actually drawing any value from the tool whatsoever because it's it's either you get no alerts or you get so many alerts, they're just inactionable. If a customer approaches you, how would you uh, sort of explain to them or walk them through the process of successful evaluation of a a tool?
1: Yeah, uh, that's... uh... That's a, a hot topic, because I think as, a, as vendors, everybody struggles with how in a, a trial with a customer do you, do you provide somebody enough signal that they feel like they, they're getting value out of that product as they're evaluating it. But then also, at the same time, nobody wants to be inundated with alerts, as you mentioned, that are totally inactionable. So I think that great security solutions, especially on the SIM side, start with alerts, that you are 100% confident as a customer that you would act on, and if it is shipping with a lot of alerts that you would never act on, maybe that's not the right fit uh, for for your needs as a company. Because everybody's threat model is going to be slightly different. Of course, there are those things based on cloud platform. You know that we can we can look at kind of top ten style attacks, and we can know you know what is the the cloud maturity of a specific vendor based on whether or not they're detecting those specific cloud provider types of attacks. So examples would be like disabling cloud trail logging or doing advanced attacks to uh, leverage encryption to make it so that an incident response team can't read the logs, even if they're being shipped. Uh, so awareness of things like that and looking at the cloud friendliness for your stack I think is also really critical anytime that you're thinking of evaluating a new product.
0: Are there the um, security simulation tools or anything that we can use to so actually prove these things in a, in a secure, otherwise secure environment?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, that's, that's kind of a nice segue as well because one of the things I think that's great about um, our, our stance is that we really like to be very active in the open source community and we like to give a lot back um, to groups like Cloud Native Computing Foundation, Linux Foundation. We also have our own open source tool projects Um, One of which we released about two years ago now um, is Stratus Red Team, which is kind of our answer to how do you take the the techniques and tactics of attackers and then simulate them inside of a clean room environment to test out these different detection platforms. Um, So Stratus, I think at the last time that I gave a talk on it, I'm sure it's more today, had at least 36 um, different attack tactics it could emulate for AWS and another dozen or so for Kubernetes. Um, it also has Azure and Google Cloud support now, um, too. And it's one of the our our most pop- popular open source security tools.
0: That's awesome. I'll check that out. Actually, in terms of you know when when are our findings? What's the what's your strategy around classifying those in terms of severity and risk?
1: I think criticality of findings is a really interesting conversation that everybody's starting to have in a different way. So previously, you know, we would have said, anytime that there's an attack, that's worth notifying somebody. And I think today, we're all living in kind of a a leaner environment. You know, we're working with smaller teams, we're asking engineering teams to do more. Uh, The DevSecOps movement has kind of really shifted the accountability model there. So when we talk about the context of how critical is an alert, um, it's always nice to put that risk lens on it for the business. So in context, you know, is that asset that's being attacked successfully, you know, what, what data is it holding? Uh, how is the data classified? If it was um, you know, successfully breached, is there going to be a, a, a financial damage, reputation damage, lost productivity? And then uh, scaling out kind of the runbook for that, like what, what's somebody going to do in that case based on uh, understanding of risk?
0: Are you seeing people automate responses to things or is it still very much a manual process?
1: I think the most successful teams right now um, are doing kind of a hybrid process. Like everything else, you know, they're not using only automation or only uh, runbooks that a human is going through. They're actually involving a human at, at the critical steps that they make a decision point and then letting that human kind of run an automation that'll go and, and execute the plan. I think one of the things that teams are are really struggling with when it comes to being high maturity at DevOps, let's say, and also trying to automate uh, incident handling or uh, response to to highly critical alerts, is that that actually can cause configuration drift. And so a lot of people are really hesitant to go in and have those fully automated runbooks because it's going to totally mess up. The state of their Terraform or or something, because the even the best response tools are just making API calls. So I see people doing all kinds of things, but having that that person still at the heart of the incident handling process that's making those hard choices um, is is still key.
0: Yeah, I don't think we'll ever see those people go away. You know, even in in terms of um, disaster recovery, failovers and things, people are always hesitate to um, to make it an automated process just in case. So there's usually a, a person in the loop, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's there's
1: still a lot of value in having it as code, right? So that a human is just pushing buttons, mm-hmm. and and so it's it's like a human assist that ensures consistency, right? Because I I like to say you know humans are awesome unless you want really consistent results, um, and that's where kind of automating part of the process comes into play.
2: Yeah, as you think about the all the buzzwords that exist in security right now—XDR, uh, threat hunting—you know all these different areas. It all kind of rolls back into you know how do you get that data in front of a SOC team? And, and the most traditional ways, is, is kind of a sim. How do you think uh, Datadog is changing that mindset? Because it's, I think it's a different approach, which I really appreciate.
1: Yeah, so we we definitely have um, an excellent sim product, uh, Datadog Cloud Sim. It was the the very first product that we launched, um, which I kind of alluded to a bit earlier. Um, The sim really came about as a way that Datadog thought it could help customers that were already customers of logs. Uh, Because as as anybody knows that's launched a sim inside of their company, one of the most challenging things is actually getting the data from all of the endpoints into the thing that is analyzing that data and then providing alerts. And so immediately we were already meeting engineers where they were. Um, and where they were already shipping logs, so that's that's like thing number one is is having you know that engineering team in the same system as the security team, and it's not as heavy a lift um, in terms of just the user experience. I think that Arsim is incredibly easy to use um, in the in the sense that you don't have to be a security expert to write custom alerts for that sim. It has a really Simple UI uh, that you can use Of course, you know if you have DevOps uh, at a high maturity, we have all those terraform providers and things as well. But quite frankly, I think that over time we're going to see teams shift away from the sim as a primary way that they're doing detection.
2: I think one of the big challenges I've always had with the sim is that it doesn't have the context that's really necessary to understand or the layers of the onion as we talk about often in security. Where you know you have different layers of protection, and yeah, you know this the SAN controller might have a really high vulnerability, but it's also twelve layers deep in my network, <laughs> so it can't really be a sub one security issue. Uh, when it, you know if someone got to it and is actually attacking it, we have other problems.
1: Yeah, and also you know sims don't necessarily always scale as well as the business would like it to. Either it doesn't scale from a performance perspective, or it doesn't scale from a cost perspective, and of course you know. We we can keep up with customer events at cloud scale, but not every customer is going to want to to pay to ingest, analyze, et cetera, every single log line from every uh, endpoint inside of their their company. So you need sort of to think of it as a bit more of a funnel of, you know, how how much of this detection can I move out to the edge or the endpoint, and then really use a sim for for correlative findings. So look at look at more of the context and provide more data to somebody who is going through and doing forensics or incident response or uh, trying to assess the severity of a major breach.
0: We've talked on the podcast uh, many times about the, the value of structured logging and how it's uh, we can't believe that even in 2023 people are still using syslog and logging very verbose text messages, impossible to pass. I mean, is, is it possible to deploy a sim uh, without having... Sort of sensibly structured logs. I mean, is it or is it is it really a prereq to to success there? It's it's very
1: difficult uh, to deploy a sim on top of uh, completely unstructured logs, and I think that that's another area you know where just by virtue of the fact that folks were already using us for log ingestion, and we have this pipeline concept where you can go in and we have all these standard parsers, regex, grok parse. Uh, you know, maybe in a worst case, there's it is structured, but then there's escaped JSON inside of a single value. Um, being able to quickly extract all that and then normalize it to a set of security attributes is going to continue to be really, really essential, right? Because otherwise, we're just kind of tokenizing blobs of text and trying to do analytics on them, which has been you know a detection and response strategy for some vendors, you know creating these security data lakes and then applying a bit more of an ML process. But the tried and true is always going to, to, to work, right? That, that concept of yanking out specific things, mapping them to standard attributes, because it's the only way that we can really do things like track the path of an attacker across multiple systems, multiple systems with different log formats. So um, I, I still think it's, yeah, it's going to be critical for, for many years to come.
0: Yeah, I guess, I guess because APM already requires. Uh, structure um, t- to its logging. That seems like an ideal place to tie in um, these security features.
1: Yeah, more more standardization always lends itself to, to better detection.
2: Amazing. If you do standards you can find deviations better. <laughs> what, a, what a concept. <laughs> Um, you know I, I noticed one of the areas that you guys have focused on a little bit too is in cloud security posture management and really you know going back to your comment you made earlier about the biggest problem is humans <laughs> uh, you know that's one of the big challenges we see quite often in cloud security is you know public s three buckets and and things you know as you Are out there talking to customers, and you're thinking about the issues that you run into. What do you see as kind of the trends? Is it still really S3 public buckets or or wide open uh, databases on the internet that are really the big issues, or do you think it's getting more nuanced and more complicated now?
1: You know, it it really depends on the maturity of the company. we We actually did a uh, back in December, um, one of the folks in my team did a a cloud incident roundup that we published on Datadog Security Labs. So if you're interested in in last year's holistic report of the trends, you can go check that out there. But um, you know we still do see the things that you would think of as very boring, hygienic, easy to detect things causing major breaches for very large, very mature companies. And that is not necessarily always the public S3 bucket scenario, but it still is a a large percentage of the time, and those incidents are very impactful. Uh, We also see things that we saw in data centers before cloud ever existed, which was that you have this great firewall, and the last line that's evaluated is permit any any, and the comment below it is just like temporary troubleshooting rule. And those things are still the root cause for a lot of incidents and yeah to to your point that is where posture management does come into play assume that people will make mistakes assume that you you need to score those and act on them not immediately necessarily all the time to be impactful but like within hours not seconds um would have prevented so many uh large breaches
2: i remember back in the uh Early 2000s, there was a fun game we used to play where we take a, a Windows 98 laptop and we just put it on the internet and see how long it took to get owned. <laughs> so yeah, those minutes matter, <laughs> uh, and it was uh, it was shockingly fast back in those days, and it, I imagine it's still pretty fast, uh, but I don't have that kind of time anymore. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting to see you know the the speed of security issues is is rapidly increasing. The need to be able to leverage tools like Datadog or uh, you know, combined with things like WAF and uh, other tools, is really critical to being able to be successful and to deal with the live threat, you know, landscape that we're seeing in the market. Um, you know, where do you see kind of Datadog going and kind of the
1: next levels of this, and as they continue to expand their portfolio, for you, at least that you can share with us. Yeah, I think in in, in general, um, you know, no no official predictions uh, for the roadmap. They, I, I don't get that. Inf- I get that information at the same time as you do, but uh, the. Uh, the general direction I think the industry is going is to move a lot of these detections closer to the data that they're securing. So when you think about, you know, cloud workload security, how are we monitoring things at the endpoint? Um, with things like our application security management product, uh, which is more or less a what you would Gartner used to call a RASP, or real-time application security platform. Basically, it's a fancy WAF, right? Um, that is actually embedded in the the runtime of the software itself. And so we're really seeing this shift where security is moving, not just left in the CI-CD pipeline, but it's also moving into the running application stack itself. So it's like, have all these checks in your CI-CD and have your CSPM, but then also verify that bad things still aren't happening by examining the application runtimes in real time. And we're just going to see more and more of that, I would predict.
2: Yeah, you know, I was reviewing for the State of AWS Security Report that Datadog published um, last year, and you know, of course, IAM was your big hot button in that report. And you know, I'm curious how does Datadog help solve the IAM challenge? Because I think that's, you know, for, especially for people new to the cloud, IAM is probably the hardest to wrap your head around and least privilege, getting better at least privilege uh, concepts. How do how do you guys see that evolving, and how does Datadog help us solve IAM challenges that you identified?
1: So I think this is one area where uh, CSPM is really, really helpful in, in kind of evaluating like what you would think of as incredibly dangerous policies. But over the next little while, I think you're going to see more workflow around managing how people are gaining access. So one of the hot topics, uh, for example, in the identity space, is even just time-based access for these uh, privileged grants. So how, in a safe way? can a de- developer request access, be granted that access with a, a, a maximum lifetime on it and then that access goes away automatically. And uh, I think this is a case where you know cloud providers are not necessarily incentivized to make, identity really really secure by default they're incentivized to provide you services that you can pay for <laughs> so it's not part of that paved road user onboarding experience in a prominent way that makes people architect uh, really really secure identity models and it you know no no particular cloud is at fault here it's just not the way that things were for a long long time I mean, I do
2: hold them slightly accountable because they, they choose really insecure practices in some of their documentation as examples, which then you know, people copy-paste and kind of move. So I, I do feel they have some responsibility to the market. Uh, and then even in some of their managed policies on AWS, you know, they're a little bit overly, uh, you know, they, they have too much holes, too many issues that can come out of them. And you think you're secure because you're using a managed policy. And of course, Amazon should know best. Uh, and the reality is that's not the case. So yeah, I, I do think they own some responsibility in it, but yes, they don't own it completely, uh, as they do are motivated to make money.
1: <laughs> there, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot CSPs can do to be helpful, um, but I, I think we're swinging the pendulum in the right direction with uh, new things like AWS Access Analyzer, a great you know a great tool that people use to evaluate policies. It's it's uh, zero dollars, so everybody's just going to turn it on. Of course, once they find out that it exists. Um, and it's gonna help start to close those gaps. But for so long, people onboarded to to cloud provider environments, and there was not enough prescriptive guidance in the UIs. There wasn't enough prescriptive guidance from the vendor. And so now we're we're really starting to assess that, I think, as an industry, and that is this thing that people are now calling CHEM, or C-I-E-M, the Cloud Identity Entitlement Management uh, Platforms. And that's gonna be a, a huge wave of uh products and uh it'll be interesting to see kind of how it evolves over the next year or so
0: yeah i mean if the role only gave you read access to everything what could possibly go wrong yeah it's it's very interesting
1: when you think about as a customer now um when i show up on day one i'm gonna move my stuff into the cloud provider environment and then i'm gonna bring in a vendor to do detection i'm gonna bring in a vendor to do Uh, configuration scanning continuously. I'm going to bring in a vendor for a web application firewall. And in a lot of industries, WAFs will actually be required for the first time by compliance next year. And then on top of that, I'm also going to delegate access to a vendor and trust that vendor to make changes to my identity policy. So we live in a a crazy world where we put a lot of uh, confidence in all of these baskets.
0: Yeah, that's quite a big ask is, is trusting somebody to make fundamental changes to IAM.
1: And it's very different than you know just a, a vendor that's scanning your environment and reporting on misconfigurations, being able to go in and take actions at the, that level of privilege. Um, that's a, a different level of trust and a different engineering problem, I think. Yeah, definitely.
0: So, in in terms of the you know we've, we've talked about the traditional sims and what they do for us, and now we're talking about the sort of the next generation of shift left and trust but verify. What does you know what does the output from that look like for uh, engineers and and the SOC team? So what new information are you bringing, and how is it of value?
1: Yeah, I think uh, what it ultimately looks like for engineering teams is, is having information surfacing in the, the areas where they're already kind of used to looking, um, and that's kind of the way that we think about it when we when we think about the way that Datadog security products all work together. So you have a, a single unified view that shows not just you know what are the issues, but the issues are also sorted in order of importance. And that comes back to that conversation we're having about criticality. How do I know when something is maximum risk versus low risk? And the differentiator could be that it's happening in production, it's happening with real user data. So the more of that context that we pull together, um, it really allows people to act, you know, intelligently. So uh, the the 3 a.m. problem comes up again. You know, when do you wake somebody up versus not? Um, that's that's a big piece of it. And then you know, when do you require a- action inside of a specific uh, service level objective or a specific time window? I think that answered the the question.
0: Yeah, yeah it did. Yeah, my, my mind's just kind of drifting back to some of the uh, vulnerabilities I've heard of over the past year or so. You know, people like Slack accidentally uh, sending user tokens to all participants in a chat and things like that seem like ideal candidates for this type of technology.
1: Yeah, credential management and credential leaks also continue to be um, kind of a a root cause of uh, security incidents, and that comes a little bit back to the identity conversation but it also just comes down to being able to detect those uh, leaks in a a manner that's faster than attackers can detect them. bit of an arms race on the uh, uh, security of secrets side of
0: things. Yeah, that's right. You don't need to outrun the alligator; you just need to outrun your friend.
2: (laughs) If people are interested in learning more, I know there's a webinar coming up. Maybe you could introduce us to the upcoming webinar and tell people how to find it, uh, as well as how to find you on the internet to uh, ask you questions.
1: Yeah, so uh, we, we have a upcoming uh, Security Observability Day. Um, I believe it is April 18th. Um, and that is that link is available on the Datadog HQ Twitter if you want to sign up and register for the next, uh, what, what we used to call Demo Day. Basically, it's a roundup of, of all the products, a little bit of a sneak peek on where the products are headed. Um, and of course, we love to engage with you during those things. So if you have questions, if you have comments, uh, curiosities. Um, you can reach out to me, of course, on uh, Twitter as well. I'm at Andrew Krug, A N D R E W K R U G on Twitter, or I'm also in the Datadog community Slack, um, which you haven't take if you haven't taken the time to join our community Slack. Um, it's full of practitioners using Datadog, some of the uh, not Datadog users discussing all kinds of DevOps and now recently security issues. Um, you can also look for more content from us. On Datadog Security Labs, uh, which is just securitylabs.datadoghq.com.
2: Well, I think we covered a lot today. Uh, you know what Datadog can help you do in your security space. Talking about the SIM and the involvement of the SIM in your organization, as well as some of the great open source tools like Stratus Red Team and, and some of the others. Uh, so, really appreciate you coming on board today and, and talking about this with us. And we love to have you back
1: on in the future to talk about more Datadog and security. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for having me, and uh, definitely look out for more updates and open source tools.
0: Thanks, Andrew. Thanks. Visit thecloudpod.net to subscribe to the show, join our Slack channel, or sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can also find information on reaching our audience through a CloudPod sponsorship opportunity. A big thank you to today's guest, and thank you for listening.